Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, and welcome to Making Action Happen. Um, Sarah is not with us this week, so you'll be enjoying my voice for most of it, along with my former co-worker and friend, Doug Fitzgerald. He's going to jump in as the guest host. Doug, say hello. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well. All right. So <laughs> basically, uh, this is going to be a fun episode. Over the past few weeks, we've dived into everything from the Colorado legislature, which is finally over, thank goodness, um, to redistricting, which we might talk about that a little bit because Doug has a little experience in the congressional world of things, um, and just some other stuff. We'll just have fun with it. So Doug, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Tell us a little bit about what you've done, where you're from, who you are. <laughs> well, um, I was born and raised here in Pueblo, Colorado. Went to Centennial High School, got my uh, undergraduate at, uh, then it was uh, University of Southern Colorado, now Colorado State University, Pueblo. Um, I got my graduate degree from um, UCCS in um, a master's in public administration. Um, work, um, I started getting into um, the public sector work when I initially uh, began working for former Congressman Scott McGinnis, who represented the third congressional district for about 12 years. So I started about 1995 until he finished in uh, 2004. And so from there, I went to uh, work for the city of Pueblo. I was the assistant city manager under Dave Galley. And then from there, I decided I wanted to uh, live one of my dreams that I had in my life was to be a, uh, a business owner. So I bought into a franchise and it was a painting franchise. We did commercial and residential painting. And from there, um, the economy wasn't good. I was barely keeping my head above water. So I closed the business uh, and I, I grabbed the first job I could and I worked over at Converges, selling vacations for resorts, condominiums, international. So are you the dude that, would, that calls my phone four times a day asking if I have a timeshare or <laughs> I'm going to spend my awards points to go to Disneyland or Mexico? No, okay. I just took the inbound calls. I didn't okay. do any of the outbound calls. So you calls. weren't the, okay, that makes me feel better. <laughs> And then uh, what happened was I was about two weeks away from moving out of town and uh, you gave me a call yeah. to come work for Congressman Tipton. And I said, sure, I'll interview you with you. And you know, I interviewed with you and Josh Green, who was the chief of staff at the time. And you guys said, come on aboard. And I was there for seven years until just this last January. And when the congressman didn't return to Congress. So I'm, that's where I'm at right now. And I'm continually looking for work. Um, so I'm actively pursuing it. All right. So let's go back a little bit. So yeah. I met you um, actually going to city meetings, I think when you were the, the deputy city manager under Dave Galley, correct? Might have. Yeah. Yeah. A anyway. So interestingly enough, going back, you started off in a congressional office and you got into the, the city work after that um, and then into the painting. Yes. So do you wish you would have started a painting business now with all the houses being sold? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it would be great. There's a lot of building going on and, and new homes being sold and nothing does great to a house is then a new paint job as you yeah. test by your house that yeah. you just recently did. So yeah, 
Yeah, um, I think I drive down the street and every house on at least the surrounding streets is being painted right now. Oh, yeah. So, so now you, you missed your calling <laughs> like 10 did. years too early, I guess. Oh, <laughs> well, um, I guess I'm before my time. Yeah. So, so what I wanted to do today is kind of go over and you have a history of helping people through congressional work and also city work as well. But uh, a lot of people don't know what a congressional office does. And both of us have worked in it uh, for many years, I think. Yeah. Combined, you know, I, I think I have about 15 years working for congressional, the congressional side, and you have close to that as well. Yeah, I think it's about 17, close to 17, 17, 16, yeah. 16, 16 or 17. Yeah. So basically when you work for a congressional office, you're there to help people. And we're, we're kind of putting this out to maybe steer some people that need some help that they may not know is out there. Um, and we would help with any federal agency. If you're having a problem with a federal agency, VA, social security, anything like that, some state and to a point local as well, because we have connections to call people, you know, if it's a County issue, we could call it the County commissioners and they generally would answer the phone and help us out. Uh, but you working in Congressman Tipton's office, not even going before that to McGinnis's office, but just in the seven years that I worked with you, how many cases did you work just in the Pueblo region? Oh, probably it's close to 2,000 cases. 2,000 cases? Yeah. Would you say that those were, primar were primarily veterans? Social yeah, security? I'd say probably 70 to 80% were veteran related. It, it either dealt with the Veterans Benefits Administration or the Veterans Health Administration, or it was just record requests for veterans yeah. so they could file their claims. Yeah, and I had at least that many as well. So combined, we probably knocked out, I would, you know, say four to 5,000 cases yeah. positively for the area. Well, Pueblo is very heavily veteran populated. Yeah. So it was all of Southern Colorado. So there was a lot of uh, guys who needed some help and we were always glad to help those guys. Yeah. So if you're a veteran out there and you're just falling through the cracks, say you have uh, an appeal in or even a, a claim in, and you've been waiting for years. And we would see that often where people were waiting as long as five, six years. What would be your advice to the veteran to what should they do to get this resolved? Well, the first thing is to uh, go through a congressional office and see if they can get an update or a, um, a status update on their claim as to where it stands right now. And if there's any pertinent information, maybe the VA is waiting for that the veteran may have not responded to, or maybe the VA didn't even let them know. So first thing for all you guys out there and ladies, um, go to your congressional office. And that could be the Senate offices or the yeah, House office. Yeah, that's your two senators or whatever congressional representative you have. For the third district is Congresswoman Boebert. For the fourth district, it's uh, Mr. Buck. Yep. And once they do that, uh, there's kind of a misnomer out there that if you go to a congressional office seeking help that, um, you know, it's a black mark on your file that they, that they'll get mad at you for doing that. Did you ever see that in the years of doing this? Uh, no, I never saw any of that. Um, I, vets were afraid, like you said, mm -hmm. of that, but I, we always had to assure them that uh, they had every right to come to the, the congressional office and ask for support and help and see what's going on with their claim. And that um, doing that would not slow down their claim. Most likely it would increase the claim and there would be a congressional tag on it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I would tell them too. Now, when we first started doing this, even going back to McGinnis or when I was with Aller, uh, the VA was a mess. Oh, yeah. It's, it's better. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's improved over the years. But 
Um, through the course more recently, say in the past five years, did you see the VA actually improve when it came to handling veterans issues? Oh, yeah, I did. I saw it with the VBA, the Benefits Administration, and particularly with the VHA. Um, you know, the big scandal was down in Phoenix. A lot of yeah. those veterans died. And, and, and there were some problems with the Eastern Colorado healthcare system. But um, they got a new director. Well, what was the new director's name, Brian? Do you remember? Oh, I can't remember. Kilmer. Anyway, yeah, director Kil Kilmer. Yes. yes he came right. over from the Western Slope from the Grand Junction. And he turned that he turned that around in Grand Junction. They I remember yeah. they went from zero to ten in you know the few years that he was there, and we we really appreciated that. And then when he came over to the eastern side, so Colorado's different than most federal agencies, whereas it's split. Yeah. So you have the the eastern healthcare system and then the western. So like the west slope of Colorado falls in to Albuquerque. Um, yeah, some of that like Durango, City. doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah. then upper. The upper counties go to the Grand Junction. Office, yeah, yeah. Correct? And then the eastern side of Colorado, this side of the mountains, it's, you know, we fall under Denver. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so it's two different regions, which kind of makes it difficult because you get these guys that may live in the middle and they're under a different set of health care than, you know, five feet to the right of them, oh, yeah. you know, and it was kind of hard to figure out where to go. And, and honestly, um, and we'll get into the redistricting thing too. If you're driving to Grand Junction from Durango, you know, that could be, you may not be able to do that. No, um, you can't, especially in the wintertime. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. What, other, what else did you do there that, um, that was very impactful to the region? I would say, actually, um, Academy nominations. Yeah, I did the U.S. military Academy nominations for the congressmen, which uh, the kids from the 3rd Congressional District who wanted to attend one of the four military academies, uh, West Point, Naval Academy, Air Force Academy, and the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, could uh, file an application uh, with the congressman's office and we get his grades, his GPA, his uh, letters, letters of recommendation. We just advocated for the kids. Yeah, and basically. we vetted for them and we would nominate 10 per academy. 10 per academy and each academy picked one person from that 10. Yes, yeah. sometimes they pick more depending on slots that were open. But, yeah, that's true, but especially they, with the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. Yeah, and we would. it was a competitive nomination process, so we would just give them 10 names in no particular order and they would go through and pick who they wanted out of those 10 and they would receive the congressman's nomination. That is correct. And, and one thing that we did, and I did it before you and kind of turned it over to you because I had too much other stuff going on. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one question that was asked is what you can do to improve your chances to get into an academy as a student. I always said, you know, if you want to do this, you have to start early. You yeah. have to start your freshman year, at least mm -hmm. your freshman year. If you make that decision your freshman year, the academy not only looks at grades, yes. which the majority of the kids applying for an academy, they're going to be straight A students, mm -hmm. you know. Um, they, AP classes. Yes. Um, take a lot of AP classes. Mm -hmm. But some of the stuff that kids didn't realize that they really look at is um, leadership positions, whether it be through athletics, um, volunteer organizations. Um, that was a big part of our interview. And that's a big part of what the academies look at is what have you done outside of just getting straight A's? Are you on the football team? Are you the captain of the football team? Yeah. Um, do you volunteer with a local charity? What work have you done? Have you gone out and done stuff voluntarily and not be told to do it, basically? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you taken the initiative to help people? And, yeah. and I really like that. Um, and that's one thing that I would tell the kids. It's like, 
you got your grades, you're fine. Um, your ACT, SAT scores, they look at that as well. But again, most of these kids are the, the brightest of the bunch. But what else have you done? Because everybody you're competing with has straight A's and good test scores. What sets you apart from them? Uh, we would have kids that you know would go to South America on um, mission trips for the oh, yeah. summer. Um, Church mission trips. Uh, the American, profit mission trips. Yeah. The, the Red Cross. That we uh -huh. had some that would go down for Habitat for Humanity. And I think when you see that, when academies see that, that shows really that initiative to lead and want to do something more than yourself. Mm -hmm. And when looking for an officer in the military, these academies want candidates that are not in it for themselves. They're in it there's something bigger that they're working towards. Yes, correct. And, and that's important. And that's the one that I, I keep telling kids, because I'm still talking to a few, you know, it's like, hey, Brian, my son wants to go to the academy. What can you tell him? I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Mm -hmm. um, you have to focus on more than yourself and show that you can do that yes. and be a leader while doing that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Just, yeah. Well, that's why I'm told them too. You know, I just tell them, you know, leadership is a big quality they're looking for at these academies. And so assume as many leadership roles and can in all the organizations you're involved in. Yeah. I thought that was much and, and be confident and speak well and be polite <laughs> and show deference to your authorities. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like at least kind of dress up when you go for the interviews. Yeah. <laughs> well, didn't you tell me once that someone, uh, one of the board members asked a kid, um, why he wanted to be able to go to academy. And he said he played Mortal Kombat or some kind of yeah, video game yeah, that qualified him to go to a... Yeah, he was like, I play Call of Duty and this is fun. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, th this isn't Call no, of Duty. No, this it's is, not. Th this is real life, man. Like, <laughs> you only get one, you don't get any respawns in Battlefield in real, real life. Uh, yeah, and there would be some too that would yeah. come through and they're like, well, I got nothing better to do. And I'm like, and you're probably not going to be a good... Yeah, kid, not a good know. fit. And, you know, sometimes, Brian, there's a lot of kids that are really good. And, you know, I was always asking, listen, this is a very competitive position to get in these academies. What is your plan B? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of kids, you know, I'd say, well, if you don't get in and you really want to serve in the military, be part of the academies, then go to a four-year college, get into ROTC. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, for instance, uh, go to four-year college and go to was it officer training? Yeah, school? OCS, officer oh, candidate school. school. Yes, exactly. And some of them had that backup because we'd always ask, like, what's your again your plan B? Yeah. And in part of selecting the the candidates or the the future cadets is um, dedication to service, right? Yeah. Um, and that was one question we asked too. It's like, what's your plans? Do you plan to go in, do your commitment, and get out? And some kids would be like, yeah, it's a great school. I want to go in, and then I want to do my four years or six years after and get out. And that's more. That's not what we were really looking for. Well, no, they want a person who wants a career. In the yeah, and, and I understand. And I would tell them, like, things change. You may get in and realize it's not for you or something else comes along. But the big one is, what was your plan B? And you would have kids that's like, they apply to every academy. Yeah. They apply for ROTC scholarships. Yes, exactly. And then they're like, and if I don't get any of this, I'm just going to enlist and then try yeah. to get in that way. And those were the ones we tried to, to weed out, you know, pick mm -hmm. out of I shouldn't say weed out. Those are the ones we wanted that showed that dedication to service. And, and sometimes that spoke more than the grades. They may not have had the highest grades yeah, or test scores correct. compared to somebody else, but just that on paper that 
and through the interview, that dedication to service to your country and the, the military, that took them further than, say, the football captain that had straight A's that only applied to their first oh, academy. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, we'd encourage them to apply for the prep schools, military prep yeah, schools around the country. Too. Good one. Um, Senator Garcia, his son went to the prep school. Yeah, the Falcon nomination. prep school. Yeah. And now mm -hmm. he's at the Air Force Academy. Yep, he's at the Air Force Academy mm -hmm. right now. And that's that's another thing that people don't realize. Um, the students like they may see something in you, but you're not quite there yet. Yeah. So there is an option to go to a prep school, and the Air Force Academy has a prep school at the academy. And what they'll do is you graduate, you go to the prep school for a year, and that's supposed to show you the academy life, both um, physical and mental, because you go through the the academic part as well as like the the PT part and the physical yeah. part dressing in a uniform getting that routine and that's kind of a barrier that that can weed out some of those that would not make it in the academy exactly. versus those that will excel and that's what Senator Garcia's son did yeah and and of course we tell them too they always have to come back and receive a second nomination from us that is correct and for the way that I ran it and you eventually did too is if we gave them a nomination and they went to the prep school um, they generally, unless they messed up, yeah. they would receive another nomination. That is correct. For the academy after that. So, you know, we always ask them for a narrative. Tell us what you've been doing up there, how your grade's going at the yeah. prep academy. Yeah. So, and and I just kind of want to give a plug to all those kids listening out there. I know you're, you're very enticed by the Air Force Academy, which is local here in Colorado, and the other academies like the Naval Academy in, the, in, the US, in West Point. But uh, check out the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. I yes. Mean, you can go there, you can get a four-year degree, and you can commission to any other branch in the service after that four years, if you want to. Yes, and if you and you still get a commission in the Naval, uh, in the Navy after you graduate yes. the Merchant Marine Academy. Uh -huh. And the reason for that, it's actually really fascinating. So um, as everybody knows, World War II, the Merchant Marine ships, uh, they were used, generally they ship goods. In a time of war, they would ship tanks, planes, helicopter supplies, anything like that. Well, I guess they didn't have helicopters in no, World War II, no, they but, <laughs> but uh, they, they would ship the other stuff, sometimes people. And they were non-combatants, but being that they were shipping military supplies, they were combatants and would be targeted. Oh, yeah. And by, I mean, they even targeted- U-boats. Yeah, and the U-boats would just target you know, pretty anything. much anybody. Um, so- Basically, the way the Merchant Marines work is when you're an officer in the Merchant Marines, you are in the Naval Reserve as an officer. And then when it's wartime and you got to ship some tanks, you're on your boat or a boat and you just put on your Naval uniform. Correct. And you are officially in the U.S. military at that point shipping military goods, which unfortunately makes you a combatant. Mm -hmm. So if you know, you're shipping tanks over, that technically is a combatant ship. But the Merchant Marines, they actually have a, a history of military service that not many people know about. And some of the, the best and greatest officers actually came out of the Merchant Marines and went to other branches of the service. Um, yeah, that's correct. In fact, we had a, I had a friend here in town in Pueblo. He was an officer in the Merchant Marines. He went to the Merchant Marine Academy, which is an engineering school. And then, you know, two weeks out of a year, he put on a Navy uniform and then go on a submarine. And then a few times he did have to ship some supplies over there, but he was on a merchant marine ship as a naval officer shipping the, yeah. the stuff. And as I understand, I, I believe that after you get done with your merchant marine, merchant marine academy service, that you are paid pretty well in the merchant marine academy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, you, the, 
the merchant marine officers make a lot of money when they get out. Yeah. And he, the way he did it, and it may have changed now, and I could be completely wrong on this, but he would go out for six months and then come home for six months. And then he would be able to pick what his next uh, tour or whatever like yeah. ship was. And I believe he had to give them four or six years of that. It might've been four years total. But a lot of those guys, you know, you're young, get out of the Merchant Marine Academy, you're like, what, 22-ish, somewhere around there. Yeah. And they get on their ship and they make a ton of money. You know, mm-hmm. their first ship sells out and they come back with 200 grand in their pocket. Yeah. So a lot of those guys, they bought houses in Mexico. You know? <laughs> and then what they would do is like sell for six months out of the year or a year and then go to Mexico for a year and just kind of party and be okay. young and have fun. Um, he didn't do that. He came back here and bought a bar <laughs> and then would leave for six months and then I would run it for a while and then oh, he'd come okay. back and stuff. But it, it's, it's a great school. It's a great engineering school. They it don't is. get enough people. And they have a proud history of service. And again, you could still commission into other branches of the military, including pilot slots, yeah, which most exactly. people don't know. Even more than the Air Force Academy. Yeah, because the um, you know, everybody who goes to the Air Force Academy wants to be a fighter pilot. Yeah. So you're competing against, you know, a thousand people that want mm. to be fighter pilots. Uh, the Merchant Marine Academy, you can actually commission into the Air Force or Navy out of that and then go to flight school yeah. that route mm-hmm. instead of you know, I don't know how many slots the Air Force Academy does for fighter pilots now, but say it's like 12 and you're going to have a ton of people competing for those 12 slots. Merchant Marines, they get, you know, you could commission in and go into flight school, Yeah, you know, in a different route and be a fighter pilot or be a, a pilot. Um, and then you come down to Pueblo and you train at DOS Aviation first. Yeah, yeah that's exactly, first. exactly right which is another tie. Um, I mean, I, like, I, like I said, I saw a lot of great kids come in. And uh, one of the kids that he was really disappointed that he didn't get accepted at the Air Force Academy, but he got accepted at the Colorado School of Mines. And I told him, listen, that is a great engineering school. Yeah. It's one of the best in the state and in the nation. Do your ROTC there, or like you said, that officer. Officer sir, candidate school. school yeah. yeah, OCA. So, you know, I think I kind of put him on a happy path after that. Good. So, well, and before we go to break, there were, there was one kid that applied three years in a row. Oh, you told he, me about yeah, that. Yeah. He was already a junior in college. And I was like, dude, you got a year to graduate. Like right. you can be an officer, just finish your year. I think he was down at Adams state in mm-hmm. Alamosa. And he's like, no, I want to go to the Academy. And on the third year it uh-huh. paid off. They accepted him to, um, the, I, it wasn't the Air Force Academy. It was either Naval or uh, the U.S. Military Academy, West Point. I think it was West Point. But anyway, with that, we're going to go to a short break, and B and Doug will be back to talk about stuff. Thanks. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, XL Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. 
we focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. All right. Brian and Doug are back at you. Uh, We're just talking about the academies and what congressional offices do, but let's go to redistricting. And I know we've talked about this almost nonstop on every show, but it's important to know that the public comment, the initial public comment period was closed on Sunday. Um, We tried to get as many people to write in. And as you know, Action 22 supports the two rural districts. And we we talked about that. It's like beating a dead horse right now. But I wanted to bring you on too, to talk about just the way the districts are now versus the map that Action 22 has supported along with uh, Club 20 and Pro 15. And you've seen yeah. the map, correct? Yeah, that's correct. So, you know, our biggest thing is two rural districts. This this aligns communities of interest. Um, in the rural side of Colorado, you know, you have agriculture, energy, tourism. Water. And water. And that's those are basically the big issues. And public lands, you know, yeah. um, that's, that's another part. But more so that they're looking for communities of interest. And... When I look at it, and I've said it before, I don't think it's a perfect map. There is still on the map that we recommend, it comes over to the this side of the mountains and the valley. So Alamosa will still be with the West Slope in our map. Which yes, the third congressional, congressional third congressional district. Um, but it puts Pueblo in with the fourth, and also mm-hmm. some of the counties around Pueblo. Whoever on Custer's, that correct? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, so with your experience, and you've actually worked through three congressional districts of the third, right? Um, I worked with uh, just one. No, because you had, when you were with McGinnis. That was 2000. So that was different than the one with with Tipton. Yeah, that is correct. And Tipton switched when um, he first got elected. Remember, it switched as yeah, well. Yeah, I wasn't with you oh, guys that's, at that yeah, time. That's right, yeah. Um, I think you were there, weren't you? Just I just came on. Yeah. And um, what did it look like when you worked for Scott McGinnis? Um, we did have, Pueblo was in it. We mm-hmm. had Custard, Huerfano, parts of Fremont, 
Fremont was divided into the 5th Congressional District. Okay. We had Park and Chafee County as well. So we went up there and we had just like a few precincts in Jefferson County at the time. And I believe we had all of Eagle County as well. Yeah. So it was a pretty large district. And then when they redistrict in 2002, uh, we gained uh, Los Animas and a little part of Otero at the time. And then they cut those out. During 2010. 2010. Yeah. And then we got half of Eagle County. And this is one thing that I that I keep saying, and I testified in front of the commission or gave my comment, I guess it's not testimony, but gave my comment. Um, you know, one of the aspects is they're going to try not to split counties. There are going to be some counties split. Uh, El Paso County, I think they have more than enough for their own congressional district. Yes. So they're going to have to cut parts of that off. And they kept bringing up like, well, how would you, you know, separate El Paso County? What would you do? And, and, Wayne Williams was on and he's like, you know, if it's the Eastern side, you got to look at who lives there and will that go with the Eastern Plains? Or if it's the Western part of El Paso County, will that go in with like Teller and Park where they're at? Um, You know, my, my opinion on it was Fountain, like take Fountain and put it South. With the fourth? Yes. With the fourth or whichever, whatever Pueblo is going to be with. Yes. And the reason for that is a, it's 15 miles away. I mean, it's right on Pueblo County, but Fountain and Pueblo is like, you know, 20 miles, 15 to 20 miles away. Um, you do have a lot of large contingency of people that live in Pueblo and the majority of Fountain work at Fort Carson. Yes. And that kind of keeps them together. Um, and, and that was my suggestion. I don't know if they'll listen to it. We'll see the maps. They are going to do a preliminary map on the 24th of this month, I believe. Now is all the census data in for that yet? No, it is not. Okay. So they have the population of Colorado so far. Um, what they do not have is the breakdown by county. Okay. Yet. All right. Um, that is targeted to be released end of August, September timeframe. And the reason why it's taking so long is because of COVID, which is the magical excuse for anything taking long right now. <laughs> yes. um, whether or not it impacted a business or not, you could just say like, oh, COVID, like, oh, okay, my package is two weeks late. Like, you know, <laughs> you know? Um, or <laughs> my favorite is, uh, it's like, sorry, we can't answer the phone in time because of COVID. And I'm like, but you have the same amount of people answering the phone now as you did before. (laughs) (laughs) Does COVID infect the phone line? But that being said, um, with with this census, it it's legitimate because, you know, they have to track down this data. If you don't answer your census card, um, they have to send somebody to your house. And that is a recipe for disaster during a pandemic. If you have a person going from house to house to house all over a state, yes, um, that's how viruses spread. Yes. So they had to be creative and come up with new ways to do this. And they did a great job. Um, but their data is going to be a little late, which in turn, um, an issue that I'm going to see, I'm going to predict right now, um, not so much on the congressional side of things, but on the state. Okay. Redistricting or it's because we're not adding or subtracting members of the state legislature. It stays the same. You just have to adjust population. Yes. They, they adjust it. And what you're going to see is if that's, that's a lot of work yeah, and it it's going to take time. So how are they going to do that and have it ready in time for precincts because precincts are going to be adjusted around oh, this. Yeah, exactly. Um, the caucus you know, system all of this. candidates affects candidates yes so you know it, it may this might be last minute you may be. not even know what district you're running in voting in what precinct you're part of until 
it's almost time to vote next year. Yeah, that's true. And well, don't they have to have everything completed? Um, the maps and then the Supreme Court reviews those, right? Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Aren't they supposed to have those done by December 12th of this year? Which is going to be impossible. Oh, okay. I, I I just don't, unless they, they crunch it um, and you're going to see litigation, I think on this saying that it's everything from gerrymandering or the numbers aren't right, but they would traditionally have, you know, an extra three months to do this yeah. than we have now. Mm-hmm. And then if say again, the, the finalized data is supposed to be August, September. It might be late. Yeah. It might be early, but say it doesn't get in till like October and then you still have to have public comment on it. They have to have um, the proposed districts out there. They have to take um, stakeholder input. Um, Supreme court review. Yeah. All this stuff. And I don't know if there's going to be enough time. And some of that, like the comment periods, I think those are set. Like you have to have a certain number of days of public comment. Uh So it's going to be tough to meet those deadlines. So it may be chaos. Um, well, how many public comments did you guys get this first comment? I, I don't know. Um, okay. I do know that Action 22, Pro 15, and Club 20 were, I think, the first to really present a map and give comment. And they spoke for hours on it. Oh, the, com- the commission did with the, the presidents of the respected organizations. Uh, when I went in, they were only taking five comments at a time and it was supposed to be for three minutes and it was full and then enough people dropped out. So I went on and I, I was not going to say anything they hadn't heard. And so what I did was just open it up to questions for them. I'm like, you've heard what Sarah came on and told you, I'm going to say the exact same thing. So instead of repeating myself what are your questions? And one of them that that came up was um, how I felt about Douglas County being added into the same district as Pueblo. Because right now, Douglas County is part of the fourth district. Oh, I don't know. Um, Douglas County grew a lot. Yes, it did. In the 90s. And Parker and Castle Rock really don't have some of those. It's very wealthy. And they really yes. don't have those common interests with the rural district. No, they don't. And that's what I said. So our idea, and again, sorry if you've heard this a million times already, but I, I'm saying this because this is important. And this is one of the most important issues uh, facing Coloradoans right now, because this is going to impact you for the next 10 years. And it's going to be a, you know what, show getting up <laughs> to the, the new districts and maps and everything. Um, so please comment and you could just Google redistricting. They're actually going to start doing um, a roadshow where they're going to go and talk to the stakeholders in the communities, whether it be via Zoom or in person. We need as many people to voice their opinion as we can get because, and I say this, there are a lot of special interest groups involved with this redistricting process that want to see it one way. And with with anything like that, you're going to have, you know, 10,000 people that are part of a group comment from Denver and you're going to have five people comment from, let's just throw a dart at the board, like Huerfano. Yeah. And it will overshadow our rural voice. And it's important for the, the rural counties. And I'm even talking Pueblo and Springs that you need to comment when this goes public, if there's an opportunity to go to the commission, um, please, please, please let your voice be heard because it's so important to us. There, there is an idea that Denver, 
that the, the metro areas and the rural areas should be in the same districts. And the reason for that, and it's at no fault of the people, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, is they feel that the best way to get people to relate and think the same is to put Denver with Cheyenne um, County or, you know, Douglas County with Pueblo. Yeah. And when they asked me how I felt about Douglas County being included in the same district as Pueblo, I said, well, that would dilute Pueblo's voice. Right now in the fourth district, you have Douglas County and Weld County, and those are the population yeah. centers. There Correct. is absolutely no reason for a representative in the fourth district to go anywhere south of Douglas County. Oh, no. And I mean, it's just, it's pointless. All of the votes and the majority, 90% of his or her constituents are going to be in those two areas. Yeah. Greeley, Fort Collins. Yep. If you take Douglas County out and you have Weld County in the north and you have Pueblo County down here, that representative will have to go back and forth. They will be in Pueblo. Oh, they'll have to be. They, they have to be. Yes. And if, if you put Douglas County in with that, there will be no reason to come down to Pueblo at that point. Oh, yeah. Or the Valley or Southeastern Colorado or anywhere down here. Well, it's and, kind of similar with the third now. Yes. I mean, uh, the representative of the third has to be in Pueblo. They yes. just cannot focus on that Western Slope. Yeah. And again, it's not a perfect map and it will take Pueblo out of the third district, but it will be primarily Western Slope. Um, but it does include Alamosa still. Yeah. And that's going to be interesting to see, like, whoever represents that district after the next election, whether it be Congresswoman Boebert or somebody new, like, we have to stay on them to come to Alamosa and the San Luis Valley oh, yes, at exactly. that point. Um, we have to be very vocal and we have to be aggressive. And that's going to be a huge, huge job for Action 22 to see that happen, if this is how the maps go. Yes. Now, they may just throw it all in the trash and say like, oh, here you go. Just divide the state by a third on the bottom. And now the bottom third is a district. Oh yeah. I'm gonna throw it back to the Supreme Court Supreme Court and say, you do it. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. just, that's what the commission was for. Yeah. To yeah. get it out of the courts. Yeah, I know. But I think it's, I think it's going to be tied up and do I just don't. So? Yeah. And I just don't see this map and it's out there where you see like the, there's one where it's like southeastern Colorado and parts of El Paso County. But again, these are splitting up counties and they, they're trying not to do that. That's yeah. in the guidelines, you know, all efforts must be made to keep these whole, the counties whole. Um, you are going to have some split, like I said. But if you're just like doing the pinwheel, like this one map where it's every district touches Denver. I don't who, see who how that's fair. That? Do I, I, I don't know. Um, there was one by the Colorado Hispanic Chamber of Commerce where they want to see they want to see an eighth district in Northern Colorado. Okay. And I get where they're coming from because they're talking about keeping a community of interest, which is um, Hispanic, the Hispanic population together. And that's why they kind of want to see something um, up North. They have this map. You can find it. You could Google it. Where so their eighth basically district would be Weld up County up in that area. Yeah. It'd be kind of up there. And then Actually, this would be kind of a district here and then okay. another one here. I see. Okay. Um, and one question I was asked was, you know, like, well, your map is splitting these generational um, Hispanic families, Latino families that have been around the San Luis Valley for five to eight generations, uh, including the Pueblo area. And my answer is like, it's already split. Like we cut off in the third district, you know, Los Animas is not part of the third district, but Los Animas 
has the same families and ranchers oh, and yeah. connections as Pueblo, but so it, it was not there. Yeah. And Otero and, and Crowley. Um, and, and then I kind of want to say, it's like, you know, we're not making, we're not putting up a border. Like <laughs> we're not like separating counties and families. This isn't uh-huh. like the border of a country. Or it's anything. not like Berlin wall or anything yeah, yeah, put up, you know, yeah. just, and, and I, and I also think that our, our map does a, a good job of keeping the, uh, water districts intact yeah they do um there there is another one proposed by some of the the water advocates that splits it up different than ours and their their argument is it like fully keeps these water districts intact okay. ours does not it does not keep some of the water basins completely in like each the arkansas yeah and that was another one it's like what do you feel the impact would be for the the upper arkansas um water to lower arc yeah and i think uh she was talking about when i talked when she was questioning me, it was um, the the Upper Arkansas watershed. Yeah, and because that starts, I think right around El Paso County. Teller, yeah. yeah, and I said, well, it's again, it's not perfect, but when you split, when you split like water districts or even counties, the challenge is when you go for funding or legislation that impacts your water district or your county Yes, is do you, will you have to go to two members of Congress and how do you figure that out? Mm-hmm. And if you have a county that's split, like say Eagle County is now, you have the county commissioners. It's like, okay, we need this funding for appropriations. Who do we go to? Yeah. Uh, do we go to both? Yes. You go to both, but both don't get along with each other. Yeah. That's true. You know, and that that creates a situation. That's Same. a possibility. Yeah. And, or and they may put down their uh, dislikes and work for the betterment of the county. And then you have two representatives for you. Yeah, yeah that's possible. That, I mean, <laughs> I kind of dream sometimes, Brian. Yeah, Let me dream. yeah. And we're, we're seeing um, there's these things called earmarks. And there's, yeah. there's some some of our representatives do not believe they exist, yes, unfortunately. Yeah. And that could do a lot of good for our area Um, and, and not to be political on it, but you know, if it's going to be spent and the money's out there anyway, why not use it to better your community instead of protest the earmark process? Oh yeah, that's correct. You're right on that. And and, I mean, if we were working still, yeah, I would have loved the earmark process because there's a dozen things that could be done with an earmark right now. Oh Um, yeah. You could fund the The Valley conduit. Yeah. That that was the big one. That's what Senator Bennett brought up. He said, Hey, this could be the way to fund the Valley conduit, Yeah, which also getting into that with the, um, the ARPA funds that are coming down um, with the conduit, there are funds for infrastructure, uh, water and sewage in it. Uh, what we're looking into now is trying to get everybody on the same page where they can use some of this ARPA funding to make the connections yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Um, where instead of having to write a letter every two years to the presidential budget office to yeah. fund the Arc Valley conduit, which has always come back as zero. It does. They approve it with zero funding. And then it's a fight for two months yes. to get how much was the last funding in that? 180 million yeah. maybe or something like it, that. It's like a I drop can't... in it. But the for some reason, the, the budget office, they will they never fund it. No, they never have. And then we you have to fight tooth and nail. The the senators, representatives, and everybody from Colorado has always done this. It's a, it's a every two years, it's like, all right, time to fight for this for a month. Yeah. And basically go in there and begging, like, this was promised years ago. We need the funding. This is why. Oh, yeah. From, what, since 1962? Yeah. When yeah. the legislation was passed. 
and you know you're talking about this uh, infrastructure for water facilities um and it can go to wastewater is that correct mm -hmm. so that might be beneficial uh, for the city of pueblo with mm -hmm. its aging infrastructure for the sewage yeah and that that's actually if you go on pueblo's website uh they kind of list that and we had that discussion on friday at our meeting that that is something they're going to use it for. Um, yeah. Pueblo has an aging infrastructure. Um, you know, there's some EPA regulations that we're exempt from at the moment. Yeah. But we will have to catch up to those eventually. Well, then there's a selenium issue the EPA yes, bringing the, up. The selenium. That's that's another one that comes up every year. So you're out of compliance. You're out of regulation. You need to fix this. And it's like, well, we don't have the money. What was the, the last one? It was like two hundred million dollars yes. just to fix this. I mean, it was like double the city's budget oh probably quadruple yeah triple and, the city's budget and the city was freaking out but with the sarpa funds that might be a way to get ahead of that so yeah. we don't have to ask and beg the epa to exempt us from regulations for another two years ten years whatever it is yeah that's true and, and and it's not like pueblo's polluting this is not a pollution no issue. it is not <laughs> no it, it's we it's strive a, for clean water yes it's a selenium <laughs> issue and it's naturally occurring but unfortunately the natural occurring selenium in the area is higher than it's supposed to be. Yes, it would is. like it to be. And then that, that's also a problem with Kansas as well. Yes. They don't like that selenium coming over. No, they do not. So, and, um, you know, not saying there's some uh, shady stuff in the past of Pueblo when it comes to <laughs> some, some super fun sites and stuff, but Pueblo <laughs> has done a fantastic job, uh, making everything clean. I think we have like the second cleanest tap water in the country. Yeah. I know that they always do that weird tap water award uh -huh, every year. Do. And we get like what second or third yeah. best tasting tap well, water. Bubble water does a great job. Yes, they do. They um, do. Um, that's uh, Sam Rose. I know you don't listen to this, but you do a great job making our water taste good. For <laughs> Pueblo. But Pueblo has done an amazing job and, and Pueblo with everything we're doing now with these ARPA funds and, um, you know, economic development, um, economic recovery. For the Action 22 area, Pueblo is the hub. And it's a symbiotic relationship with all of the counties in Action 22, because if you live in, I don't know, say Alamosa, or you live in Bent, or, you know, Baca, as they yeah. say, not Baca, Baca County, where do you go? If you want to go to the city to go shopping, have fun, you go to Pueblo. Well, for Action 22, Pueblo is the... Uh is the hub to go to. It's the flagship city. It is. Area. It is. And Colorado Springs, not to throw them under the bus, they are part of Action 22. Yes. But they're they're different. Um, that's they're their own country up there. Um, but Pueblo is the hub. And Pueblo should be and is the model for the surrounding counties. And we're continuing to make that known and doing what we can to basically bring everybody together. It's because if Pueblo does well, the rest of the region does well. Yes. And this has to be a coordinate, coordinated effort between all the counties of the Action 22 area. Um, there's a lot of money coming down. It's already hitting right now. Um, it's important that we we make the best decisions and not rush through this. Yeah. Now, you said with the wastewater um, improvements that we could use the Rescue Act funds, mm -hmm. does that include uh, the water treatment center as well? I believe so, but don't quote me on that okay. um, because the, the way they're approaching this is you don't want to take the ARPA funds for something that could already be paid for with other federal funds. Okay. So I, I know a lot of the, the towns and municipalities and counties right now are looking because you don't want to 
spend the money here when you could get the money here. Yeah. You can't overlap. There's certain rules and regulations. Right now, it's kind of a guideline that's been put out on how this money is going to be spent. And everybody's monitoring the, the feds constantly to see what changes, how it changes and stuff. But um, it can okay. to answer your question, but you got to make sure it doesn't conflict with other stuff. If there's already money coming in from this, you have to be really careful with it because I, I guarantee that all of this money is going to be audited because we have oh, till yes. 2024 to commit it, 2026 to spend, spend it. Yeah. So that gives plenty of time to audit this money. With the CARES Act, you had six months and it was a mess. With this, they are going to audit it. Mm -hmm. They are going to look back. But Well, well we're uh, about done, Doug. Oh, any, well. Any well, last words of advice? You got a minute. Oh, uh, well, no, not really. I just, right. uh, we talked about the congressional offices and all those people who need help with a federal yeah. agency. Um, go to one of your congressional offices. That's your two senators and your congressperson. And even if you're having problems with state issues um, or even local issues yep. where maybe the state and local government are not being responsive to you, go to one of those offices and they'll make a referral to the appropriate agency. And Doug is currently seeking employment. So <laughs> if anybody out there is hiring. Well, thank you, Brian. <laughs> please consider Doug. You can email me at show at action22.org. Um, but again, we appreciate everybody listening. Um, I know it's been a rough few weeks with all the Colorado legislature stuff going on. We're trying to make this more fun now that we can relax a bit. Sarah's on vacation. She'll be back in not next show, but the following one. But with that, please show it action22.org if you have any question, comments, or concerns, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Music.